0: Well, if there's one thing that I've learned in my 34 years of life on this earth is that uh, that richness often depends on the perspective of the person. And this might have started with my grandfather. My grandfather, my grandmother and grandfather lived in the same town as as we uh, did growing up. And during the summers, I would go to their house and I would do chores for them. I would uh, mow the lawn, I would work in the garden. And uh, I remember one year I went, it was the middle of the July, and it was roughly somewhere around 180 degrees outside. And my grandfather said, John, we just got a new air condition unit, and so we're going to sell the old one for scrap. And so he hands me a wrench, he hands me a screwdriver, and he says, get to work. And I started... Uh, uh, loosening bolts, and I started unscrewing screws, and I uh, scraped up my knuckles, and, and I was sweating, and it was hot, and and six hours later, I had it disassembled, and I got it. I put it in the wheelbarrow, took it up to his truck. We loaded it up. We took it uh, to where we were selling it back for scrap metal. We got paid, and uh, we, we came back home, and uh, we were about to go inside, and he says, John, wait. I need to pay you, and so he goes, and he reaches into his back pocket and he, he pulls out his wallet and starts thumbing through it. And he bring, pulls out a crisp, brand new $5 bill. And he hands it to me and he looks at me and he says there's, there's that phrase that all kids hate. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> it was about the time that I figured out that I had worked all day for 83 cents an hour. That he looked at me and said... You did good work today. I appreciate that. And uh, if you know my grandfather, you know this was much bigger than anything he could have paid me. And then he said, he said something even better. He said, Grandma's made lunch. Let's go eat. And that was, for that being, uh, I learned that hard work, uh, even if you work hard, being rich sometimes doesn't always mean getting paid as much. Or maybe it was a, a trip that I took with my family uh, when I was around 10 or 12 years old. And we went on a cruise. And I remember we we flew down to to Miami and we went out to the dock and uh, we walked out and I saw the biggest boat I had ever seen in my life. Actually, there it is. It's uh, it's a little fuzzy here. Biggest boat I'd ever seen. And I was like, look at that boat. That's huge. Until I looked at the boat next to it, which was that. And then I realized my boat was a life raft for that boat. And I was started, I started grumbling. You know how, how kids get. Oh, we've got this small boat. That's great. We're going to go and go up on board. We get to our tiny little room. And, and I was so frustrated and so so mad that we weren't on the big boat. And my parents said, well, let's get something to eat. And I said, it's 3 in the afternoon. We're not going to get anything to eat. And they're like, no. On a cruise, you can eat whenever you want. And my mouth did this what? And they said, we have meals, but they have food whenever you want it. And I was, I, I felt like I was running down the halls singing, I'm the king of the world, as loud as I can. And, and I was, I was laughing with my parents yesterday, we were talking about it yesterday, and I, I could order anything I wanted. In almost every meal, I ordered chicken nuggets. And I don't, it's, You know, for a 10-year-old, being rich is chicken nuggets whenever you want. And uh, during meals, we actually sat with um, we sat with these three people: is uh, an older gentleman and his daughter, and uh, a sidekick. And we we swore these these three people, at least two of them, were in the mob. Like we we we, and the way they talked, the way they acted. Um, Larry was the main guy, and his friend his uh, his daughter was with him, and his friend, uh, his name was Dom, as in Dominique. And Dom just agreed with whatever Larry said. And so Larry would say something to like, But he didn't say words. He just quiet. And one time he was looking at us and he said, you ever come to New York, you look us up. We'll take care of you. We'll, we'll take care of you. And I remember we were talking yesterday. My, my parents were back in the cabin like, should, should we be hanging out with the mafia? And my dad was like, well, those are not the people we can make mad. I think we're stuck. And I learned that being rich, had a lot to do with experience and the experiences we have in life. And I say this because we're starting, uh, last week we started a new series on being rich in what matters most. And we're, we're taking a look at what uh, God says, what Jesus says, what the Bible says is truly important when we think about being rich. Bob started us out last week and, and he said, um, for the most part, we in the West, in America, we are rich and we we understand there are circumstances and there are situations sometimes where, um, you know, we have people in need and we're sensitive to that. But as a general term, as a generality, we are rich compared to a lot of places in the world. We, we have cars, we have houses, we have shelter. There are a lot of places in the world that don't have that. And he says, so that's good news. Like, consider- comparatively, we are rich. He said, the bad news is, is that really hinders us spiritually. Our wealth sometimes keeps us from God. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning as we continue on this uh, on this topic. And I want you to know that uh, whenever you talk about money in church or tithing or whatever, it, it, people automatically get anxious. And I don't want you to do that this morning. Um, I want you to know that it, it's not often looked at as a, a very happy topic. Uh, I, I once asked my high schoolers, and about it, and they said I, that's the one thing we don't want to hear about. We don't want to hear someone talking about money or anything like that. And so, if you're my high schooler, well, here we go. Uh, good luck. You look at the Bible and you see, you, you start looking and you start compiling the stories. Money, possessions, wealth are really important topics to Jesus. When you start making a list of the stories about that, you see a ton of scripture talking about what uh, money and wealth can do to us. And we're going to dive in to that passage that Abby read for us just a little bit ago. Um, the passage that she read is found in Matthew 6, chapter 6. And uh, if you read around in that section of the Bible, you know that this is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is where Jesus, he, he goes and he wants to teach his disciples. And they go uh, to a place that's kind of open. And he's going to teach his disciples. And at this point... He has a a following among the people and a lot of people back then they were in poverty they were poor and jesus brought them hope his teachings brought them hope and so whenever he would go to teach they would come and so we have the disciples and we have the poorest and it doesn't explicitly say this in scripture but a lot of people think by this point he had attracted the attention of the religious leaders the sadducees the pharisees the more well-to-do of the jewish people and it and it's Again, it doesn't say explicitly, but one could, could see that the, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders would come to hear his teaching and check uh, check out what is this guy saying. And so in this context, in this, uh, in this teaching, we have the poorest of the poor, and we have the richest of the rich, and we have the disciples, and we have Jesus. And we, so we, we, that's where we, we see Jesus in this point. And this is where he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin's do, ver, vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we're going to stop right there. And we have to, to, to understand really what Jesus is saying. We have to understand how would a, a person in that audience understand richness. And so we look at it in that society, in in Jewish society, a lot of time wealth, possessions, things like that, they meant you were being blessed by God. Um, If you had a lot of sheep, if you had a lot of land, if you had a lot of gold, if you had that meant that God had blessed you. That doesn't mean that God wasn't blessing the people uh, that didn't have those things, but specifically those things were a blessing from God, and so one might imagine that Jesus, when he starts this topic of money and, and wealth and and um, and possessions, that he would say something like that. He would see someone in the crowd and say, uh, "Oh, oh, Steve, Steve, yeah, you've got a lot of land. You know, God must be blessing you. Good job, Steve." Or oh, Sally, Sally, you you have a lot of sheep. You have a lot of uh, clout in in your in your area. You know, God, you must be living righteous life. God must be blessing you. That's what someone in that time would expect Jesus to say. And then we dig into what Jesus says. Don't store up treasure on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. Wait, wait, what? What? Jesus takes the world's standard and he flips it on his head. And it's not that Jesus is against having a lot. It's just that Jesus understands what wealth and possessions can do to people he understands that in the end wealth is uncertain i mean look at the rest of the verse don't store up where moths can destroy and thieves can steal in first century uh, first century israel it was common uh, it was common in that day that uh, moths and insects would regularly eat out the the clothing that they wear. So you could put on your tunic and all of a sudden you see the sleeve has is full of holes. And and this is, they didn't have mothballs back then I guess, I don't know, but they they it was easy to put it on and see, oh this is ruined, I can't wear this. And back then it wasn't like we have today where, where you can, you have your fancy alarm in your house and then you put the sticker on the front, or some of you who are cheaper you, you just put the sticker on the, the window to make people think you have an alarm system, I know you do it. Um, but they didn't have that back then back then it was a common occurrence that while you were sleeping while you were at work someone could go into your house and take everything you had and so for these people who are hearing it it's very real that they could one day have wealth and it be gone and that's that's the hope that Jesus is getting with this metaphor wealth is uncertain for us, it's a, it's a, it can be similar. Uh, do you guys remember 2008? Remember the, the financial crisis, the lovely financial crisis that we had uh, just uh, eight, almost eight years ago, seven and a half years ago? And there are people who lost everything in a day. There are people who lost half their retirement fund in a day. And if any of you wonder why I still live in the West End, that is a reason. It's not because I'm snooty and I, I like living up there near Shore Pump. It's because we bought our house in 2006, and two years later, it was not worth what we paid for it. And it's still not worth what we paid for it, but I need to pray about that. That's another thing for another time. But there are a lot of people back then who had it all and were devastated. And you might be thinking, John, why do we, why do, we do this? Why do we put our, our hope... And, and, our, and everything we have into wealth and possessions. Why do we do that? And I think it's because money and possessions and wealth, it promises us things that aren't really true. It makes promises. You see the title of the sermon is Deceitfulness of Riches. A lot of time riches will promise things that aren't true. And number one, the first thing that it promises is happiness. If I just had enough, I'd be happy. Last week I was talking to the, the college students and I, I said, okay, here's the deal. What salary would be enough? And they just kind of looked at me. And, and part of it is because for a college student, like $40 is enough. You know, that's, that for them, it, having $40 would be, man, I can go out to eat now. But for most of it, it was because it all depends on where they came from they couldn't say because you know well it depends well, on my past i don't know how it was up, raised how how these things depending on where we are is um, depending on where we are or what we have that's what would make us rich in fact bob shared with us last week he said uh, that they took a, a group took a poll and they asked how much uh, would you need in order to be happy and ultimately every single socioeconomic group their answer was the next step if you had 20,000 man if I just had 40 if you had 40,000 if I could just crack 60 if you had 60,000 man if I could just get to 80 what we see here what we see here is that this idea that money can buy us happiness just starts a cycle it starts to eat away at us we're never actually content we believe that money can buy us happiness but then when we get to where we should be happy we're not happy we need more if only i could get to this next step it's a cycle that never ends and makes us a slave to that cycle money can't buy us happiness but riches will tell you money can buy us security and that's the second point money can buy us security with that money I'd be secure. I'd have a security. I wouldn't have to worry anymore. I'd, I wouldn't have to be anxious. And the hard part about this truth is that there is some truth in it. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, yes, money would help you feel more secure. And, and again, we're, not, uh, we're, we're sensitive to that. But I think for a lot of us, what happens is, is, is we kind of buy it. If I just had this much money, my basic needs would be met and I'd be secure. And then our basic needs, kind of that list kind of gets bigger. And then our basic needs gets bigger, and it's bigger, and it's bigger. There was always uh, something that would make us more secure. Uh, this happened to me also. Uh, actually happened to me and Molly. We got married uh, in 2004, and we lived in an apartment for two years before we bought our house. And every month, we had to, we had to pay money for this thing called rent. And I don't know if you've heard about it, but apparently that's what grown-ups do. We learned very quickly. And so the first of the month, we'd, we'd, we'd hand in our check, and we'd, 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 we'd kind of you know, extend it. Here's our rent. And then they would grab it, and then we would kind of do the tug-of-war thing, like, and then we'd let go. And we'd come back and be like, we have no money left. We're, we're on a strict budget. We're eating bread and water and not even the fancy water. We're going straight cheap water, and, and that's all that we can do. We can't eat out. We can't do anything. You know, she was a full-time teacher. I was full-time uh, on staff at a church. And, and we just thought after we paid rent that we had nothing. And then, fast forward six years later, we have a mortgage and two kids. And we look back and we're like, man, we had so much money. What did we do with all that money? But there is this promise. Like back then there was this, 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 this fear. Like I'm so anxious because I don't have enough. If I had enough We'd have security. We fell victim to the cycle, the slavery that riches promise us. And the two reasons, these two reasons are part of the reasons why Jesus goes on in verse 24. uh, You heard Abby read, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew that human nature, our sinful nature, is to look to money to provide happiness and security. And he understood that ultimately, wealth, riches, money, all that stuff, instead of us controlling it, it would control us. That's why he says we can't serve God and money. Jesus knows that, that we are going to look to money and to wealth and to riches to provide happiness, security, and ultimately peace. And that we won't look to him to provide those things. And that's the truth, isn't it? That only God can truly give us happiness. Only God can give us security. Only God can give us peace. And the world would like to tell you that that's, that that money and riches and possessions can give you all those things, but the truth is, is it's just not true. Only God can provide those things. It's only through God that we can achieve happiness and security. Everything else, it just sends us on a cycle of wanting and searching and needing more and more and more. And it's in this cycle that we see Jesus teaching this passage in Matthew. And later on in the passage, we, don't, we didn't read it, but he says, you know what, don't worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Don't worry about where your clothes are going to come from. Because you know why? You know what, because God takes care of the birds. And God takes care of the flowers. And you know what, compared to humans, compared to you, flowers and birds are nothing. God cares for you that much. If he takes care of them, you better believe he's going to take care of you. I mean, think back, think back a couple of weeks. Amanda preached on, uh, she talked about the uh, Israelites in the desert and how God provided manna. And really, God gave them instructions. He said, okay, here's the deal. When you wake up in the morning, you go outside, there's going to be food on the ground. Get enough for your family, and you're fed. I'm, t- I'm here for you. He said, but trust me, I'm here for tomorrow. I'm here for you the next day, and I'm going to be here for you. So trust in me. That I will provide for you. Take only what you need. And there were a certain number of Israelites who went out and they saw it and they're like, we're in the desert, folks. There's no more food. We need to take as much as we can. And so they gather and they hoard all of this, uh, all this manna. And they get back to their tents and they realize that um, maggots and uh, worms had overrun. The, the manna had rotted. God wanted the Israelites to trust him for their needs. He wants us to do the same. We, he, God wants us to trust him. So, so, John, what does this mean for me? I mean, I've, I've, my financial planner has told me I need to save up. I need to have this much in savings. I need to, you know, I've been told all my life I need to work hard, get a good job, and, 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 and make a living. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because my financial planner actually called me uh, this past week while I'm preparing this message and left a message for me, and so it really kind of hit home with me. Is that, yeah, that's what the world has told us to do. And I'm not saying any of that is wrong. But when I read the Bible, when, when I dive into scriptures, when I, when I look at the stories that Jesus tells in this book, what I, what I found is that being rich is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. I'm going to say that again, and I always tell my students, if I say it twice, it means you probably should have written it down. So if you've got a pen, write it down. Being rich is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And you might be thinking, well, John, where did you get that? That's a bold statement. Well, well, right here in Paul's uh, first letter to Timothy. Uh, It's in chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And um, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. You see, Paul is uh, mimicking Jesus, he's he's teaching what Jesus taught uh, to Timothy but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now we need to, need to look at this, this, uh, this uh, passage, this verse, because um, I'm going to get, I, I didn't do this in the early service, I'll do it with you guys. You seem uh, like smart people, you can take it. Um, this sentence, this verse, is an imperative statement. An imperative statement, it is uh, something that is firmly teaching. You're you're making a a statement. You're getting it out there. You're teaching. In fact, in other scriptures, it says teach um, those. This means that Paul is very serious in this charge. He didn't say, you know, toss it out to the people. See what they think. Make a suggestion. He said, you know, maybe bring it to a business meeting. We'll vote on it. No, Paul says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. And, and Paul's, uh, Timothy's church, the, the, the church that he's serving at, is a wealthy church. It was in a port city, and that's where, in those times, that's where the wealth was uh, kind of conglomerated. But he echoes Jesus' teaching put their hope in God, look to God for these things, and whatever you have, Whatever you have, whether it's five dollars or five million dollars, whatever you have, tell them to to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. When we trust God, being rich is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Being generous, being giving, doing good. So so, so how how do we get to that point? Number one, be grateful. Take some time today and think about how God has provided for you. And remember, remember that everything you have from five or five million, everything you have is a gift from God. And I had a college student share this uh, last week in Sunday school. And and she said, you know, yesterday I poured my mom water out of our Brita. My Brita is a a filtered uh, pitcher uh, where you get filtered water. And she said, just don't ever stop to think that in other places, they have to walk miles, carry water on their head that's not even remotely close to the cleanness of our water. And that just got me, because we have one in our, our refrigerator as well. That's something, that is a gift, that is a richness that we have, and we often overlook. Today, when you're at lunch, maybe this afternoon, take a minute and think about how has God provided for you. And just be grateful. Say thank you. Um, offer up thanks to God. So number one, be grateful. Number two, look for opportunities. Look for how you can be generous to the world around you. How can you live out the command that Paul gives us in, um, in the book of Timothy? Does it mean tithing? Does it mean tithing more? Does it mean helping out a family in need? Maybe it's one of your neighbors. Does it it mean maybe supporting a ministry? Pray about what God is leading you to do. And as a side, I want to say this. And and, um, A lot of times in the church, it's easy for us to look at tithing in a business-like. And and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. But, you know, we look at tithing as, hey, it makes the lights come on. It makes the video show up. It makes the sound come out sometimes. Um, It makes the... um, You know, it makes us, it allows us to do ministry, and we said it it helps us buy Bibles, it helps us go to, those are all great things, I'm not telling you that they're bad things, but I firmly believe that they're second. They are second to what God really wants for us when tithing, and that is a chance for us every week or every month or whatever it is to say, I do not put my trust in money and wealth and possessions. I put my trust in God. First and foremost, that's what I think tithing is about. And and this is coming from someone who actually gets paid from you tithing, so please keep going. Um, I I praise Jesus for that. Um, But that's not the first reason. The first reason is about your heart and putting your trust in God. That's a little aside. Um, Number three, so that's be grateful. Look for opportunities. Number three, act on it. As we move forward in the series next week, Bob is going to actually talk about a church that did just that. A church that gave graciously. And when we look at it, if I just stand up here, if we stand up here and we, we read these nice verses from the Bible and we talk about them and we sing songs. And if we leave here and our hearts aren't changed, what, what's the point? If you don't act on what God is doing in your life, well, what's the point? So be grateful, look for opportunities, act on it. And that's where I think that you'll truly see how God can bless happy, can bless you with happiness and security. When we put our faith in him, he helps us t- to trust him. Let us move forward and let us remember that being rich is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Let's pray.